This episode of the MedBullet Step 1 podcast will go over the topic of teratogens from the early development subsection under the embryology topic on MedBullets.com. Let's start off this episode with a clinical snapshot. A 35-year-old G1P0 woman gives birth to a baby with aplasia cutis congenita, which is a congenital absence of skin, often involving the scalp. A few months prior to her discovery that she was pregnant, she had symptoms of palpitations, heat intolerance, and weight loss. She was diagnosed with Graves' disease and prescribed methimazole by her endocrinologist. During her pregnancy, she missed several routine prenatal appointments and inadvertently continued taking many of the same medications that she had been taking prior to her pregnancy, including methimazole. Now let's go over a quick overview about teratogens. Teratogens are agents that can cause abnormal fetal development and birth defects. Effects vary depending on timing of fetal exposure to the teratogen. Weeks 1 to 3 of gestation has all or none effects, where the embryo either dies or survives without any complications. In weeks 3 to 8 of gestation, this is the embryonic period and is the most susceptible time period due to organogenesis. Week 8 of gestation until birth is when growth and function of the organs are affected. So again, as an overview, teratogens are agents that can cause abnormal fetal development and birth defects, and effects vary depending on timing of fetal exposure to the teratogen. Weeks 1 to 3 of gestation has all or none effects, where the embryo either dies or survives without any complications. Weeks 3 to 8 of gestation is the embryonic period, and is the most susceptible time period due to organogenesis. And finally, week 8 of gestation until birth is when growth and function of organs are affected. Now, let's go over some different teratogens. We'll go over teratogens secondary to substance abuse and teratogens that are medications. So starting with substance abuse, alcohol is a teratogen and the effects on the fetus is fetal alcohol syndrome. And for more information about fetal alcohol syndrome, you can review the topic on medbullets.com or on the Bullets app or look out for the podcast episode. Cocaine is another teratogen and as far as its effects on the fetus, it can cause low birth weight, preterm birth, intrauterine growth restriction, and or placental abruption. Nicotine is another teratogen, and as far as effects on the fetus, it can also cause low birth weight, preterm labor, placental problems, sudden infant death syndrome, and ADHD. Moving on to medications, ACE inhibitors, for example lisinopril, can cause renal damage, specifically renal dysplasia. Alkylating agents, for example cyclophosphamide, can cause absence of digits, cleft palate, and or renal agenesis. Aminoglycosides, for example gentamicin, can cause ototoxicity. Anti-epileptic drugs, for example phenytoin, can cause neural tube defects, cardiac defects, as well as cleft lip and palate. Diethylstilbestrol can cause vaginal clear cell adenocarcinoma, it can also cause congenital cervical, ovarian, and uterine abnormalities. Folate antagonists, for example methotrexate, can cause neural tube defects, which can lead to a meningiomyelocele. Isotretinoin can cause multiple severe birth defects, for example cleft palate, microphthalmia, and congenital heart defects. Lithium can cause an Epstein anomaly. Methimazole can cause aplasia cutis congenita, Tetracyclines, like doxycycline, can cause discolored teeth and or inhibited bone growth. Thalidomide can cause limb defects. And warfarin can cause bone deformities, fetal hemorrhage, abortion, 
and or ophthalmologic abnormalities. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, a 29-year-old woman is brought to the emergency room for seizure-like activity. Her husband reports that they were in bed sleeping when his wife began complaining of hot flashes. Several minutes later, her right arm began to twitch and she did not respond to his calls. The whole episode lasted for about five minutes. She denies any prior similar episodes, tongue biting, loss of bowel or urinary control, new medications, or recent illness. She reports a family history of epilepsy and is concerned that she might have the same condition. Urine pregnancy test is positive. If this patient is prescribed phenytoin, during which of the following weeks is the fetus most sensitive to its side effects? And the choices are 1, weeks 1 to 2, 2, weeks 3 to 8, 3, weeks 10 to 12, 4, week 14, and 5, week 18. The correct answer to this question is 2, weeks 3 to 8. So fetuses are the most sensitive to teratogens, such as phenytoin, during weeks 3 to 8 of development. During early fetal development, the neural tube is formed by the neuroectoderm and closes by week 4. It is also during these weeks, 3 to 8, when organogenesis occurs and fetuses are especially sensitive to teratogens during this period. Anti-epileptic drugs such as phenytoin are known to cause neural tube defects, cardiac defects, cleft palate, and skeletal abnormalities. High-dose folate supplementation is recommended in pregnant women with indications for anti-epileptic drugs. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, weeks 1 to 2 is incorrect, as weeks 1 to 2 are when implantation of the bilaminar disc consisting of the epiblast and hypoblast forms. Organogenesis does not occur during this period. Answer 3, weeks 10 to 12 is incorrect, as weeks 10 to 12 are when the genitalia begin to differentiate into male and female characteristics. Again, organogenesis does not occur during this period. And finally, answer 4, week 14, and answer 5, week 18 are incorrect, as weeks 14 and 18 are within the second trimester. Fetuses are not as sensitive to teratogens during this time. So to leave you with the bullet summary, fetuses are the most sensitive to teratogens during organogenesis, which occurs during weeks 3 to 8. Moving on to the next question. A 55-year-old man presents to his primary care physician for a regular checkup. The patient was born in Germany in 1960 with shortened limbs, underdeveloped digits, absent external ears, and a cleft palate. He is currently in a wheelchair. His past medical history is also notable for hypertension and allergies. He takes lisinopril daily and loratadine as needed. His mother had a complicated past medical history and took multiple medications during her pregnancy. His temperature is 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit or 37 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 120 over 80 millimeters of mercury. Pulse is 90 per minute and respirations are 20 per minute. The drug that most likely caused this patient's condition is also indicated for which of the following. And the choices are 1. Acne vulgaris. 2. Deep venous thrombosis. 3. Multiple myeloma. 4. Bipolar disease. And 5. Recurrent miscarriage. The correct answer to this question is 3, multiple myeloma. So the most likely diagnosis in this patient is focomelia, which is caused by maternal thalidomide use. Thalidomide is rarely used today, but is still used as an immunomodulatory drug for multiple myeloma. 
the presentation of shortened limbs and underdeveloped digits is consistent with the diagnosis of phocomelia. Thalidomide is a teratogenic substance that was once widely used in Europe as an over-the-counter anti-emetic agent with peak use occurring in the 1960s. It is associated with an increased risk of birth defects, including phocomelia and deformities of the face, musculoskeletal system, and vascular structures. Physical examination of patients with phocomelia may reveal underdeveloped limbs, underdeveloped or absent digits, underdeveloped pelvic girdle structures, microcephaly, absent external ears, wide-set eyes, cleft lip and or palate, growth retardation, and renal and cardiac malformations. Only 40% of infants born with thalidomide-induced phocomelia survived. Despite being banned after recognition of phocomelia as a side effect, thalidomide is still occasionally used as an immunomodulatory drug for the treatment of multiple myeloma. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, acne vulgaris is incorrect, as isotretinoin or vitamin A is a teratogenic substance used as a treatment for severe acne, and it's associated with spontaneous abortion, cleft palate, cardiac abnormalities, and eye abnormalities in developing fetuses. Answer 2, deep venous thrombosis is incorrect, as warfarin is a commonly used anticoagulant for the treatment and prophylaxis of deep venous thrombosis and pulmonary embolism, and it is teratogenic and associated with bony deformities, fetal hemorrhage, and spontaneous abortion in developing fetuses. Answer 4, bipolar disease is incorrect, as lithium is a mood stabilizer used in the treatment of bipolar disease, it's teratogenic, and is associated with the development of an atrialized right ventricle in the developing fetal heart, which is otherwise known as Epstein's anomaly. And finally, answer 5, recurrent miscarriage is incorrect, as diethylstilbestrol, or DES, is a non-steroidal estrogen that was previously given to pregnant women to reduce the risk of recurrent miscarriages and pregnancy complications. However, DES was shown to cause clear cell carcinoma in females who had been exposed to the drug in utero. To leave you with a bullet summary, thalidomide is associated with phocomelia or underdeveloped limbs and digits and other congenital anomalies. Moving on to the next question. A 23-year-old woman is brought to the psychiatric emergency room after she was found naked in the street proclaiming that she was a prophet sent down from heaven to save the world. A review of the electronic medical records reveals that she has a history of an unspecified coagulation disorder. On exam, she speaks rapidly and makes inappropriate sexual comments about the physician. She is alert and oriented to person, but not place, time, or situation. She is easily distracted and reports that she has not slept in three days. She is involuntarily admitted and is treated appropriately. Her symptoms improve and she is discharged four days later. She misses multiple outpatient psychiatric appointments after discharge. She is seen five months later and reports feeling better and that she is three months pregnant. Her fetus is at increased risk for developing which of the following? And the choices are 1. Atrialized right ventricle 2. Cleft palate 3. Failure of vertebral arch fusion 4. Phocomelia and 5. Sirenomelia The correct answer to this question is 1. Atrialized right ventricle so the patient in this vignette is pregnant while continuing to take lithium for bipolar disease. Lithium is a teratogen and increases the risk to the fetus of developing Epstein's anomaly, which is characterized by an atrialized right ventricle. Lithium is a first-line agent in the treatment of bipolar disorder. It is also a potent teratogen that can cause hypothyroidism and Epstein's anomaly in pregnant patients. 
Epstein's anomaly is characterized by displacement of the septal and posterior leaflets of the tricuspid valve toward the apex of the right ventricle, thereby atrializing the right ventricle. This effectively increases the size of the right atrium and shrinks the right ventricle. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 2, cleft palate, is incorrect, as cleft palate can occur idiopathically or due to a number of teratogenic compounds. Anticonvulsants, alkylating agents, and isotretinoin are teratogens associated with an increased risk of cleft palate. Answer 3, failure of vertebral arch fusion, is incorrect, as failure of vertebral arch fusion is consistent with a neural tube defect. Neural tube defects include a spectrum of disorders such as spina bifida, meningocele, and myelomeningocele. Folate antagonists are teratogens that may cause neural tube defects. Answer 4, focomelia is incorrect, as focomelia refers to gross underdevelopment or absence of the limbs. This condition was previously associated with prenatal intake of thalidomide, an immunomodulatory medication. Answer 5, sirenomelia, or mermaid syndrome, refers to a rare congenital deformity in which the lower extremities are fused together. This condition is part of caudal regression syndrome, or sacral agenesis. Severe maternal diabetes has been associated with an increased risk of caudal regression syndrome. So to leave you with a bullet summary, lithium is a teratogen that can lead to fetal development of an atrialized right ventricle, otherwise known as Epstein's anomaly. And moving on to the final question, a five-year-old boy presents for a regularly scheduled checkup. The child is wheelchair-bound due to lower extremity paralysis and suffers from urinary incontinence. At birth, it was noted that the child had lower limbs of disproportionately small size in relation to the rest of his body. Radiograph imaging at birth also revealed several abnormalities in the spine, pelvis, and lower limbs. Complete history and physical performed on the child's birth mother during her pregnancy would likely have revealed which of the following. And the choices are 1. Maternal hyperthyroidism. 2. Uncontrolled maternal diabetes mellitus. 3. Maternal use of tetracyclines. 4. Maternal use of lithium. And 5. Maternal use of nicotine. The correct answer to this question is 2. Uncontrolled maternal diabetes mellitus. So this child presenting with urinary incontinence and small paralyzed lower limbs in the setting of lower body bone abnormalities has caudal regression syndrome. Caudal regression syndrome has been associated with uncontrolled maternal diabetes during pregnancy. Caudal regression syndrome, also called sacral agenesis syndrome, is the result of a neural tube defect resulting in hypoplasia slash agenesis of the lumbar spine or sacrum. The exact etiology of caudal regression syndrome is unknown, but there is an increased incidence of caudal regression syndrome in children born to women with diabetes. Clinical findings of caudal regression syndrome include bony abnormalities of the lower spine and pelvis on radiographic imaging, bowel or bladder incontinence, and limb deformities. Caudal regression syndrome can present in the setting of syndromes such as Vactorel, which stands for vertebral, anorectal, cardiac, tracheoesophageal fistula, renal, and limb anomalies. Bulas reviewed caudal regression syndrome. Caudal regression syndrome is rare with an unknown pathogenesis. However, as many as 22% of newborns with caudal regression syndrome are born to mothers with type 1 or type 2 diabetes. Caudal regression syndrome is therefore considered to be one of the most characteristic complications of maternal diabetes. Singh et al. also review caudal regression syndrome, including associated anomalies and prognosis. 
non-musculoskeletal systems which may be affected in the setting of caudal regression syndrome include the gastrointestinal and genitourinary systems. While many patients are able to live otherwise normal lives despite their lower limb defects, urological function in patients with caudal regression syndrome should be monitored closely in order to prevent renal damage caused by a neurogenic bladder or other urogenital anomalies. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, maternal hyperthyroidism is incorrect as this is not associated with caudal regression syndrome. Answer 3, maternal use of tetracyclines is incorrect as this is associated with discolored teeth, not caudal regression syndrome. Answer 4, maternal use of lithium is incorrect as this is associated with Epstein's anomaly, not caudal regression syndrome. And finally, answer 5, maternal use of nicotine is incorrect as this is associated with premature delivery, low birth weight, intrauterine growth retardation, and ADHD, not caudal regression syndrome. That's all for this review about teratogens. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 1 podcast, a daily audio review session by MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on MedBullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the MedBullets website or app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the MedBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.